afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, the pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand, not necessarily something soul-shaking, it might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. Rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time during the program to let's talk at kfuo.org or call in at, during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is area code 314-821-0850. Anywhere in the lower 48, you can call in toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Bill, welcome back to the front porch. Good to be back, Kip. Uh, you must have great confidence in our technology. We didn't even do a tech check before uh, signing on here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's a little presumptuous, uh, you know, on my part. <laughs> but I'm sitting here saying, okay, he's the host. He knows what he's doing. So, Hey, I've got faith, okay? I'm a Lutheran. Yeah, I have faith. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. Do, do, do you know that I'm uh, on? Do you, do you see that? Can you tell that? Uh, yeah, or? I can tell that. Uh, I've got a, a little reader here that says, yep, yep, he's there. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good. Well, it's good to be back, Kip. Blessed Advent to you and a wonderful Friday uh, in the first week of Advent. So it's uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Advent, uh -huh. I think. Huh? And that actually is a question that I have. Ah. Aha. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Looking at the church calendar, as you have just mentioned, we're going into the Advent season. Yes. What's Advent. <laughs> What's Advent? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, yeah, when you go out in the world, it's Christmas season now, isn't it? Right. So yeah. Yeah, once once yeah, well, we actually, clear, they started doing Christmas music on some of the radio stations. Oh yeah, they've been doing since Halloween. But yeah, that's okay. I, I don't. I'm not a militant about these things. But um, Advent uh, is. I, I like to think of Advent as to Christmas as Lent is to Easter. In fact, that's how it developed. Uh, you know, Easter is the first of the big uh, holy days in the Christian uh, church, and Lent preceded it. So that's a season of preparation. Uh, and it's the, the principle is kind of fast before the feast. In, in liturgical life, you fast, then you feast. In secular life, you feast, and then you fast and feel guilty and go to the gym, right? So, mm -hmm. But, but in, in, uh, in the feasting cycles, the, the feast day is always preceded by a period of fasting. And so Lent is the fast before the Feast of Christmas. Uh, Ad, did I say Lent? Sometimes I say Lent and Advent, I get confused in my head. Um, but, but no, Advent is the, the fasting season before the season, before Christmas, uh, the Feast of Christmas. And um, So I'm expected to fast all month? Well, you know, a, a little restraint would, would probably do a lot of good here, you know, and, and that's the problem. It kind of runs counter to all the the uh, Christmas parties, though I have to say that in the COVID era, fasting, you know, foregoing all these Christmas parties is much more feasible than it used to be. You know, God's teaching us a little discipline in with and well, under all these things. Oh, huh? yeah, but you know, I find, especially, I work from home, like three and a half Oh, yeah, so you're just hitting the refrigerator like I do, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe kind of you know sort of back away from that a little bit. Um, but but fasting fasting is don't just think of like not eating or something like that. And we we go through this exercise in Lent all the time. The the whole idea is is that one prepares for a feast. A feast just doesn't happen on a moment's notice. And that's also a spiritual preparation too. And so, so Advent is a season of four Sundays and their respective weeks. Uh, sometimes they're pretty short. You know, if Christmas falls on a Monday, Christmas if Christmas falls on a Monday, then Christmas Eve uh, is the Sunday, and the fourth Sunday of Advent is the same Sunday. Which really uh, that takes a lot of liturgical discipline to to get that one nailed down. Um, but um, it's it's four Sundays preceding Christmas with their respective weeks, no matter how long or short that fourth one is. We almost have a full one this week, this year, because uh, Christmas Day is on a Friday. Uh, the word is comes from Adventus, the Latin, which means coming or appearing. And it's, uh, it's usually designated for the coming or appearing of a dignitary, a king, uh, some very important person. And uh, it's the way the Latin expressed the notion of parousia, the coming of Christ. So it's really about a preparation for the coming of Christ. And uh, so, and so, as a season, the overarching theme is uh, the one who came uh, by way of the manger and the cross is the one who comes to us by word and sacrament is the one who will come on the last day to. Uh, judge the living and the dead and to give his believers eternal life. So it's that kind of threefold coming of Christ that is the uh, the focal point of, of Advent. Well, another thing I wanted to bring up uh, related to this, uh, there are certain circles of Lutheranism that I have uh, spoken to who firmly believe that you can tell what the time, what what it is in the church calendar by the color of the jello that the ladies serve during the. <laughs> I thought it was always green. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> what is the color of Advent? Because I know the the, the pastors wear different uh, surplus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The I mean the traditional one was was uh, kind of a royal blue or royal it was purple in in the royal sense. Um, it's nice if you are able to distinguish Lent, the colors of Lent from Advent. There's a tendency um, in some circles to make Advent just a little Lent or another form of Lent. And I don't think they're the same. I, I think the theme of Advent is one of preparation. You know, I like to say if, if you knew that a very important person was coming to dinner this weekend, you'd probably have been scrubbing the house uh, from Monday or maybe before planning the dinner, everything kind of, there's a lot of preparation that goes into welcoming a very important person. And so that's sort of the motif behind Advent. Lent is much more penitential. Uh, as well as catechetical, you know, it's a time to uh, refresh and uh, to to uh, get the catechumens ready for the Easter vigil and all that. But but Advent, I think, is much more uh, contemplative of the coming of Christ and our preparing to uh, greet him. You know, the these themes of like the 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 parable of the bridesmaids, the the ten virgins, or the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, the, this this whole thing that you know the the Savior is coming at a day and an hour we do not know, and so the Advent uh, assignment is watch and pray. It's it's a should be a time of sober vigilance and watchfulness. 
in in the darkness. Um, it's it's a dark season. Uh, well, it because, is twenty twenty. <laughs> well, there's yeah, there's the the twenty twenty overlay, but, it, but normally in the northern hemisphere, it, it does, this doesn't work in the southern hemisphere because everything's opposite. So you know they're they're approaching summer, we're approaching winter. So our days are getting shorter, our nights are longer. That sounds a little bit like an eagle song, I think. But uh, <laughs> the <laughs> but you know the whole idea is that that the, the, the you know our world is getting darker and so in the darkness uh we in advent we kind of embrace the darkness we're not fighting it uh i think advent is really a great time and and i think 2020 is a, a great year for this is to really stare down the darkness because in, in the darkness there is there is a light well and uh, it may be just a single candle but it is there is a light the light no darkness can overcome well i can see that but, you know i i wake up in the morning get ready to uh, to do my work at home usually and it's still pitch black outside and now here i am at the studio and by the time i get out of here it's going to be pitch black outside yeah now you talked about the eagles no 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 you're wrong about that that's uh it's going to be simon and garfunkel uh, oh okay yeah hello darkness my old friend well there's that yeah that, that's you, you come know, today it, at 5 p.m <laughs> <laughs> that advent is kind of a hello darkness my old friend kind of thing but but it, it's the focus is not on the darkness it's just an, an an acknowledgement of and a leaning into uh it um, as as I think, you know, the COVID crisis has forced us to lean into it. You can't run away from it. You can't hide from it. Uh, you can't fight it, but you can you can lean into it. And uh, I think Advent is that same sort of thing. The world is getting darker. I'm speaking spiritually now. And, uh, you know, love is growing cold and the end times are upon us. And uh, it seems like all of our familiar institutions are unraveling. And Advent bids us to look beyond, to kind of look, to see, to look look at the horizon, because that's where the dawn occurs. You know, we're 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 in the darkness, but we know the day is coming, and so we're we're uh, we're children of the day, not of the night. Uh, we've been reborn in baptism to be children of the day, even though we live in the night yet. And uh, but we're we're watching that horizon very very closely for the rising sun, um, you know our Savior Jesus. And so uh, that's the that's kind of the tone of Advent. It is my absolute favorite season of the church year. It's the beginning of the church year. So church year actually began this past Sunday, and it's the beginning of the festival part of the church year. So the emphasis is on the cycle of festivals: Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. And so uh, this this really starts a whole new thing. If if you are in a three year uh, church follows a three year lectionary, you move to series B, the the Mark series. So now the gospel that governs the Sunday is Mark, not Matthew. Um, and uh, you know there's there's a, a renewed sense of starting over and rehearsing all the themes. I also like to think of the church here. This is John Pless's idea, so it's not new to me, but. Uh, of the church here in terms of the Trinity. So uh, the Advent Christmas season is the season of the Father. You know, the Father sends the Son incarnate, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be, you know, he's Alpha and Omega. So, um, and the season of Lent Easter is the season of the Son, 
you know, the lamb alone goes willingly. So, so that's that's the season of the sun, and and then the season of Pentecost is the season of the Holy Spirit. So the the victorious ascended reigning Christ pours out his spirit. So we're we're in that we're in that 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 sort of that dark expectant time um, that uh, precedes Christmas. As they say, darkness it's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah, that's well, that, that's that's the idea. Advent, uh, you know, the I I think that in the the Latin in Latin Christianity they had a sense of that because you know the the days are getting short, the sun is sinking on the horizon rather horrifically fast, and uh, you know we're proud, we're fast approaching the 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 equinox the or the winter solstice and uh not the equinox but the, the winter solstice and so you know this is the sun at its lowest and then it begins to rise again so you know the lord has kind of imprinted in the movement of the sun moon and stars he's given us these kind of like little preaching signs uh to uh to stimulate our imagination as well so as the as the the light of this world gets shorter and darker, so the light of Christ grows ever brighter as as He comes into the world. Uh, Bill, you mentioned that the beginning of the Advent season we switched the lectionary. Mm -hmm. Let's explore this a little bit further. Why do we do this, and what's the difference between the old lectionary and the new lectionary? Well, we we have two competing ones. Uh, we have the 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 one that's more historically based, and uh, the one that certainly Luther and and uh, our forefathers uh, preached, and that's the one year. So that that follows us a, a, a set of readings, Old Testament and Epistle. That the the original the the historic uh, lectionary did not have an Old Testament reading, by the way, but we we've added one to that. So we're not really using a historic lectionary, uh, but it, it's a one year cycle. And and so on that one, uh, you know, every Sunday, every year, if you actually are paying attention, you will hear the same set of readings, uh, which is kind of nice on the big Sundays like Easter and Pentecost and Christmas. I, I, I think that that's a good thing. Um, the three-year series is actually an invention from um, Vatican II in 1962 and the reform of the lectionary in the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a throwback to uh, more of an ancient catechetical practice. So it goes back to the third, fourth century where um, people were taken through the gospels in three cycles. So it took three years to teach a Christian. And you know, year one, you heard Matthew, year two, you hear Mark, year three, you hear Luke. And behind that is the idea that though the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, are very similar, sometimes overlapping, sometimes quoting each other verbatim. Uh, they nevertheless, pers uh, they all have a different perspective on Jesus. And so in a three-year cycle, it kind of honors their unique perspective. So what's unique about Matthew? What's unique about Mark? What's unique about Luke? And then John gets sprinkled in where we need to sprinkle in John because, you know, John's so off the rails. He's so other that, uh, you know, he, he, you should really have a four-year lectionary. Have, give John his year because John is, John is a magnificent gospel, but he's not like the others. You know? so, but it, it honors the uniqueness of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each of them has a slightly different take on Jesus. And the three, and then John, together give us this wonderful composite, uh, uh, you know, multi-dimensional look at Jesus, which is always better. You know, if you're going to investigate an object, you need to walk around the object. You don't just look from one perspective. You don't see everything you need to see.
And something to bear in mind is that two of the gospel writers actually knew Jesus. Yeah, I mean, they were they reflect close association with Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector. Mark, uh, according to Papias, is the recorder of Peter. And so Mark, though he wasn't one of that inner circle, uh, is recording the teaching and preaching of Peter, who certainly was. Uh, Luke, admittedly, is not uh, a, a disciple. And I mean, he even is, says that he's consulted other sources, but he's associated with Ephesus, where, where you know, that's, that's where Mary was hanging out, as well as John uh, and and others. And then finally, of course, the Gospel according to St. John is, is that that's John's, you know, a, a collection of John's memoirs. So, uh, yeah, these all have direct uh, associations with the inner circle of disciples that saw and heard Jesus. Let me uh, throw a little bit of a bomb out here. Uh, a bomb, okay. A bomb. It'll be All fun right. to discuss, okay? Yeah, an uh, Advent bomb, huh? <laughs> I'm accustomed to Advent calendars. But, uh, oh, I want to talk about bomb. that later okay. today, too. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some wonderful stories about that. <laughs> but the bomb I want to throw is, you know, oh. actually that two of the, uh, some of the books, they actually quote each other verbatim. Now, there is a theory out there that I have heard uh, that is supported by absolutely nothing that I know of <laughs> that uh, says that there was actually a a source document. I think they call it a Quella document or the yeah, Q, Q document. Yeah, Q stands for Quella, which is the German word for source. Yeah, yeah. that maybe had been written more contemporaneous of uh, actually of the life of Christ. You know, most of the, the books of the Bible, the most recent ones, were written like 30 years later. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were expecting him second coming next Tuesday, so why put everything down in writing? <laughs> well, that's, <clears throat> that's part of it. The, the other part of it is that in the ancient world, um, having a speaker in front of you and uh, looking at the whites of his eyes was much, much more authoritative than having something written down. Um, you encounter that in Second and Third John, no less. Where um, Third John is written to Gaius, and Second Second John is written to uh, the elect lady. It could be a church. I think it's a church. Could be a person. But but at the end, he says, you know, I have much more that I'd like to say, but I don't want to use pen and ink. I'd rather I'd rather speak to you in person. And it's not like he's being cheap with uh, with you know paper and ink. Uh, but the written word was not as important as the oral word, word in the ancient world. And so there's a, there's a reason why they didn't commit these things to writing for a long time. You know, people don't realize that uh, the dates are approximate, but let's, let's have Jesus die and rise 29 or 30 A.D., give or take, okay? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Gospels were, we, we don't know when these Gospels were put in their final form, but it could, it, the a reasonable guess is before 70, because 70 is when the temple was destroyed. And you think that Jesus predicted it. You think that if it was written after that, somebody would chime in and say, and it happened just as he said, right? But it's not in there. So, uh, but it could be like um, 20, 30 years, even close to 40 years after, after Jesus' death and resurrection, these Gospels are being written down. And they're being written down so that people don't lose the 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 memoirs of the disciples. You know, they don't, because you know what happens if you keep retelling a story over and over again, it changes and blah. Mm -hmm. So you need, you need that. And so the written word becomes more important as the uh, speakers die off.
whether naturally or through martyrdom or whatever. So as, as that generation of apostles dies off, their memoirs become very, very important because that's what apostolic teaching is. See, so. Well, what about the theory of Aquila document? You think? Oh, I, you know, you can, the fun, the fun thing about uh, textual history is that you can, it's, it's the paucity of evidence, <laughs> you know, in, in the sciences, you, you know, you can make any kind of speculation you want and somebody's going to go, where's the data on this? Okay. This is really nice and creative, but where's the data? But in, in antiquities and especially in the history of text production, you don't have that luxury of, so there is no, they're not even like fragments of something that appears to be a, a Q source. You know, some people think maybe the Gospel of Thomas reflects that because that's much less of a gospel like we're accustomed to. It's not really um, a narrative put together. It's more of just a collection of Jesus' sayings. So, you know, that may be. I, I don't know. Um, Luke admits to consulting sources in the writing of his gospel for his patron Theophilus. Okay, so one of the gospels actually admits to using sources. And there's nothing uninspired about using sources. <laughs> Don't tell the Holy Spirit what he can and can't use. Okay? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I think this is something that's much more exciting in the, the field of, of textual criticism and in in uh, redaction criticism and whatnot than it is in actual biblical theology where we just have the text that we've been given you know, <laughs> and we are we are obligated to proclaim it and interpret it okay and and that's what I tell people you know at the close of the day you got to deal with the text that has been handed on to you mm -hmm. and and even that is not a black and white sort of thing because the text uh, you know we're reading the ESV the RSV, the NIV, whatever your favorite translation is, but A, that's a translation, and B, it's reflective of some decisions made among all the manuscripts and all the fragments and all the versions that are out there of which is the best and probably the oldest and the most reliable uh, version, because there, there are subtle differences in it. You know, when you copy something so many times, um, and sometimes people insert their own little, you know, clarifications or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you, you have all kinds of variations in the text. The good news is none of it affects anything that we believe. You know, these are just subtle little variations, even within the Gospels. So, you know, is it a sermon on the mount or is it a sermon on the flat place? Uh, Luke has a flat place sermon. Uh, Matthew has a, has a Mount sermon, and they're strikingly similar in content, though not identical, you know. Um, is there one guy, uh, one angel at the resurrection, or are there two? Is there one demoniac in the Gerasenes, or are there two demoniacs at the Gerasenes? So, you know, <laughs> there's, and this causes some people to have, like, great wobbliness of faith, but, you know, our faith is not, the ancient world didn't, didn't, view these texts the way we do you know we're preoccupied with facticity so you know we kind of run the fact checker you know oh you know the, 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 they didn't they didn't roll that way they were they were making points and 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 they were they were uh, painting a theological picture of jesus and and they had a, they had some license to do that and maybe the resolutions are simple but we don't know we just have the various versions so i'm dancing around the point because really the the the, the big answer 
Kip, is we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know how these things were written. We don't know uh, if, um, you know, other people later on kind of massage them a bit. We do know that, like, uh, it says that Matthew wrote in the Hebraic tongue. Um, well, that's not Greek. So our Greek Matthew is not the Matthew that Matthew apparently wrote, at least according to one ancient writer. So what does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I've, I've got Matthew in front of me. You know? <laughs> oh, I also think, by the way, Kip, that, you know, the early church, these were smart men. These were some of the most educated men in the Roman Empire. And you would think that a bunch of smart guys would look and say, uh-oh, we got a problem here. We got, we got four versions of the gospel, and they don't agree with each other, okay, in a lot of points. This is going to be a problem down the road. So I'll tell you what, boys, you go into your corner, and you come up with one coherent um, gospel according to Jesus, and then we'll destroy all the others so they never <laughs> come up again, okay? And, you know, and, and, a gospel by perfect. committee. Yeah, that's how we would do it today. Okay, but somehow these guys, smart as they were and aware of all the difficulties, basically said, "No, no, just leave it. This, this is how it is. This is good. This is good. We can." We... <laughs> and, and and I love that personally. You know, I I love that because because this is not about fact checking. You know, it is factual. It's historical, but it's not about fact checking every little every little thing. It's it's about you know it's answering the question: Who is this Jesus and what has he done? Interesting. Well, it's at the bottom of the hour and we got to take a break, but we've got some more interesting things to talk about concerning Advent. Advent. We need to get back to Advent. Yeah, we'll be right back. field isn't just overseas anymore. It's right here in your own backyard. If English isn't the first language of your neighbor or friend, and you'd like to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them in their own language, contact the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. LHF has translated and published the small catechism, children's Bible stories, hymnals, and devotions into 85 different languages and gives them free of charge to those who need them. lhfmissions.org. Has 2020 been a challenge for you? Afraid, angry, disappointed, anxious, just plain sad? At Timothy Lutheran Church in St. Louis, we deal with these same emotions and feelings, but we deal with them in hope. A hope not in what happens in the world. A hope that comes not from the natural order of things, but a hope that comes from the person. The hope that only comes from Jesus Christ. Come join us as we worship together in person on Sunday mornings at 8 and 1045, Monday evenings at 630, and anytime online at timothystl.org. Join us together as we serve our Lord and share His message of hope from our neighborhood to the nations. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. 
Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, money can't buy happiness. But did you know there's scientific proof that it's true? Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. You know, a recent study found that people who value great wealth and status are more depressed, anxious, and less sociable than those who don't. Turns out, it's not about how much money you have. It's about what role it plays in your life. If it becomes your primary goal or purpose, money can separate you from God. But if you see it as a tool, you can use it to take care of yourself and your loved ones. And it becomes a way for you to live out your faith and have a positive impact on the world. You know, it's wonderful to have choices about how to use your financial resources. And it's so easy to be tempted, like we all are, to spend money to make you feel good. But when that happens, remind yourself that true happiness can't be bought. So use money as a tool for good. You'll have more financial clarity and more meaning and gratitude in life. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. We're talking about Advent. If you want to jump into the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East at 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48. You can call in without charge to 1-800-730-2727. Or you can email us. Yes, it is the age of the Internet at letstalk at kfuo.org. Bill, I wanted to talk to you about Advent calendars. You mentioned that, and I want to go into this a bit. Are you there? I am. Oh, good. <clears throat> I'm, I'm listening on Advent calendars. Yeah. Or what, what, um... Well, what I want to mention here... Uh, now, I've I've never had children, so I don't know how to how how to do it. So I maybe it's a bit, bit presumptuous because I'm going to address this to people who have young children. As I say, I don't have children, but I remember when I was a child, and uh, it the Advent calendar was a big thing in my family. I mean, I mm. I still treasure that memory. Uh, my mother uh, at bedtime. It was a big ceremony where we would open up the new window in the advent calendar. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, that was such a wonderful thing. I mean, it, <laughs> it was, was almost magic. as fun as Christmas. Two pieces of cardboard glued together. Great magic. Great, great <laughs> Isn't magic. it, though? And, yeah. No, it's, oh, it was, it's, it was uh, wonderful. I, I, I still can, if I shut my eyes, I can still see the uh, the glittery, very glittery. This was before the keyboard. Um, the, 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 the very glittery advent calendar that my godmother from germany sent us uh and uh, i believe that the advent calendar is is german um there are two uh two cultures that really do christmas big that's the british and the germans uh they they, they love their christmas regardless of what you believe uh <laughs> they love they love uh their christmas i i have by the way a little convention you're free to steal it is when i'm referring to the holy day the feast of the nativity of our lord 
uh, I spell it out, Christmas, uh, which is the uh, English uh, elision of Christ's Mass, mm-hmm. the Mass of Christ's. Um, when I'm referring to the the more quote unquote secular or the holiday instead of the holy day, the holiday, I write Xmas, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I do that intentionally not to leave Christ out of Christmas, but to emphasize that here Christ is more obscured or hidden. So he's hidden behind the chi of 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 Xmas. You know that's the Greek letter chi for Christ. But but uh, uh, so it's the the hidden Christ and the revealed Christ, and th- that's my little personal shorthand. So if you see me refer to Xmas, I'm not being uh, sarcastic or snide. I'm just referring to the holiday season. And uh, Advent wreaths are definitely part. They're they're Xmasy. <laughs> In fact, the ones we had had I think they had nothing whatsoever to do with with uh, Jesus or his incarnation. They had you know father christmas and all this kind of stuff but they were utterly magic because they were a countdown to the big uh, gift day the day you get cool stuff you know so it <laughs> it was it was that other part of christmas uh we have other countdown tools you know like the advent wreath uh, that's a little bit better um and it, it has kind of a varied uh, history too wreaths are 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 you know they're kind of ancient symbols they're they're pre-christian symbols that uh are kind of co-opted and adopted but uh the four candles uh you know signifying each sunday so each sunday in advent another candle gets lit and there's kind of this interesting as the days as the as the world goes darker the wreath gets brighter as the lord draws near so that's kind of cool that's interesting symbolism i never thought of it that way I, yeah. I, I do I didn't see the Advent calendars, uh, the Advent candles, of course, at uh, at church, and uh, we often display it right here at the uh, at the International Center and in various offices. Mm-hmm. But I never thought of it in that terms. Yeah, and then and then they come in two varieties. Some have just four purple or blue candles. Uh, some have three uh, blue or purple and one rose color. Yeah, that's. Those uh, I sometimes call it pink, but it's really rose when I'm not being snide. Um, <laughs> and I'm not in a snide mood. Uh, COVID has kind of beaten the snide out of me, so it's it's rose. And and uh, th- that's not the fourth Sunday. You know, some people think that's the that's the launching pad Sunday to Christmas. No, no, no. It's that's actually the third Sunday, <laughs> uh, which uh, the intro. It, it has the the word uh, rejoice in it, so it's the it's the Sunday of rejoicing in in Advent. So it has roses the uh, the 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 color of that particular Sunday. Most parishes don't have enough money to have special vestments for every Sunday. You know, I mean, uh, happy to have royal purple for for Advent. Never finished the the color thing. Uh, yes, but the color, um, mm-hmm. you know, traditionally royal royal purple uh, royal blue the deep the deep blue the color of royalty because the emphasis is really on the king the coming king uh behold your king comes to you um the uh, alternative is blue which is that's a vatican II thing that comes from our, our roman catholic brothers and sisters and blue is more of a marian color uh, it's the color. You know, whenever we see things associated with the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, it, it's often blue. They a lot of times in art, she's depicted as wearing blue. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and so the, it's and certainly Advent has a Marian aspect to it. That fourth Sunday in Advent really focuses on Mary, 
whether the visitation of Gabriel to Mary or the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream or Mary going to visit Elizabeth in the hill country, there's always, there's always this reminder that Jesus didn't just pop on the scene as a 30-year-old man, but that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so the fourth Sunday of Advent is really Mary's Sunday. And uh, that's, that's really where the emphasis of, you know, um, the, the virgin conception of Christ and his being born of a virgin mother to share our humanity kind of comes into focus. So, uh, but the blue is the alternative Advent color with the rose, uh, potential rose at Advent 3. Um, some Advent wreaths have a center candle, a Christ candle. That's kind of a, a, um, a mix of, of uh, symbols. Yeah, we have uh, that at my church. There's the yeah, yeah. I've, I, they're sold that way. I've seen a lot have them that way. But by the time you get to the point where you're lighting the Christ candle, that's the time to whisk that wreath out of there, and and uh, because that's a that's an Advent symbol. Uh, if anything, these days your Christmas tree or whatnot is your Christmas symbol, <laughs> and so you know one or the other. But a lot of churches do both, and you know I, I I'm I'm beyond commenting on these things we don't <laughs> we, we when the advent wreath goes away then the christmas tree uh you know takes its place but uh, well, god yeah. god doesn't care one way or the other so don't don't well maybe we should talk a bit about the christmas tree oh well that's a little pre that's a little pre that's premature for that yeah early, little I, I, well, yeah I, but i don't yeah. have you scheduled for the rest of the month christmas tree yeah can we save it for a little bit later i mean because otherwise see that's that's the general Unfortunately, this is why we don't get Advent, is that we're so quick to jump into Christmas. And I, I understand that. And I think really speaking, um, kind of speaking more, I, I don't know, pastorally is the wrong. We're just trying to be sensitive to the fact that I think this year people need Christmas more than even they like it. I saw a great meme. It said some people like Christmas and other people need Christmas. Uh, I like <laughs> and, and and I think this year I think people need it, and uh, and so you know if, sometimes people make a big deal. You know, no Christmas and Advent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. And it's important to keep your symbols straight because stewardship of symbol is really important in in liturgical life because otherwise symbols don't mean anything. But um, I think this year we need uh, we need um, an extra dose of brightness because uh, this is going to be this going to be a dark one. I, I I feel it in my bones. This is going to be a dark one. So uh, the Christmas tree, it, it it you know if it finds its way into the church prematurely, then so be it. It's it's okay. <laughs> well, we got a little small one here in the studio. It's oh yeah. Of course, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's plastic because you don't want to have to water something where there's a bunch of electricity around. You you know yeah that's right you you you, you know <laughs> make sure it's plugged into a GFCI you'll be okay um, you know that uh, the Christmas tree is very controversial uh, up until the uh, the nineteenth century and it was it was the Lutherans who broke uh, broke the rule I mean the, the churches did not have Christmas trees and that was considered pagan or Catholic or yeah. both. But, Take your pick. It could be pagan, it could be Catholic, or it could be both. Um, but but it was a Cleveland church. I believe Schwann was the pastor. And it was such a big deal that he, and he got in trouble with his elders, not surprisingly, but, but he got in trouble with his elders for putting a Christmas tree up in church. 
<laughs> and it, it made the front page of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the newspaper in Cleveland, <laughs> that, that this church had put up a Christmas tree. And now, you know, it just wouldn't be Christmas without one. But it wasn't that long ago because America's Puritan and Calvinist and that kind of thing. And they, they wanted nothing to do with I don't think they even really celebrated Christmas. Well, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Boston actually had an ordinance preventing Christmas celebrations. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The, but that's kind of consistent because they, they basically rejected uh, the entire liturgical calendar, you know, all things Catholic. So uh, mm. uh, Lutherans are not like that. And uh, But leave it to the Lutherans to be the first one to stick a Christmas tree in church. Uh, the, the story is fascinating, and it, it shows up periodically periodically in uh, articles in the Lutheran Witness. So every once in a while, you can, you can find the story of the first Christmas tree. It's, it's quite, it's, it's enshrouded in controversy. Let's just put it that way. I'm going to have to look that up. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. That's, that's it's neat. A, it's a fascinating story, but, but, you know, I think Advent, um, has a number of very, um, important themes that I, I think are good disciplines for us. The one of restrained joy, you know, not everything has to be like giddy joy all the time. Mm. There's a kind of restrained joy, a somber joy, and that's that's certainly the the character of Advent, and also delayed gratification. You know, we are um, we we act as if everything had to happen. You know, if if not yesterday, then by no later than tomorrow, this should be taken care of. You know, it's like we we think this pandemic should go away in a month or two. You know, no, uh, read, read the history. Pandemics take like a long time to go away. Uh, but we're, we're accustomed to this instantaneousness of everything. And Advent, I think, teaches us to wait, to watch and wait patiently. And uh, that's what I like about it. It's like, can we have Christmas? No, 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 not yet. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And there's something um, there's there's something good about the waiting because that's what we do as Advent people. We're waiting, uh, you know. We're watching and waiting for the coming of Christ. Well, to an extent, COVID is teaching us that. It is. It is. I, I I think I I think it's I think it's really put the Advent back into Advent again if we're willing to capitalize on it. Uh, uh, it, it, I consider it one of the COVID bright spots because um, Advent really calls us to to stare into that darkness and not be afraid, um, and and to to be you know like like on on doing the midnight watch on sentry duty where you're you know everybody else is sleeping and everybody else is partying and and you're you're up there in the watchtower you're just watching and waiting and and so it's that time of of very uh somber and prayerful watching and waiting for the coming of christ and you know well, i think uh, something else that that perhaps is linked to uh to uh advent with covid is it's making people think about their own mortality mm -hmm. i know i sure have been well i think uh an author that i've been reading says you know a advent begins with uh basically embracing your death uh you know it this is this is not even the christmas story as it unfolds is not a happy story you know it, it's 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 basically a story of of people being uprooted their lives being turned upside down uh 
there's there's you know intrigue there's death threats there's flights to egypt uh you know when when the word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us uh this really upsets our apple cart in in huge ways and and i think advent really sort of reflects the fact that that when when god becomes man and the kingdom of god breaks into this present order nothing is the same again and so uh i think we have a lot of good themes to work with and and i think that a pandemic is certainly an opportunity to to rehearse those themes in in ways other than just worrying about the politics of it or worrying yeah. about you know are are we uh, you know are we protecting our rights and this is it's not not where the advent focus is yeah i'm uh, i know personally i'm more concerned about the uh about the virus i, I have questions about how how uh it's mortality rate. I have questions of the effectiveness of the mask. That being said, I always wear a mask when I go out, if only for courtesy's sake. Uh, and uh, I'll, since I am not a virologist, I'll take listen to what respectfully to what the experts say about it. Uh, but boy, this thing has really not just not just us. I mean, it's like the whole world back on its on its back. Oh yeah. Well, that you know, and that's the nature of living in the modern world because the modern world um makes worldwide transmission possible well before... i mean you, you look back into history i mean the black plague went through uh, all of europe uh, yeah when, when europe was the world as far as western civilization was concerned or uh the spanish flu back in 1918 1919. yeah that was uh, but you know and, and that was in part spread by the war and the movement of people it it always people are the ones who spread it and so our easy transportation our ability to go from china to italy to new york um makes it possible for a novel virus to get a foothold in you know the entirety of the world's humanity in the spread of a few months it's 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 uh it's it's the downside of modern life yeah uh, i was reading uh, where the uh... The plague that came, I think when it was in Justinian's reign in the uh, Byzantine Empire, the, the Eastern Empire, uh, they were they pretty much were sure that the plague actually started from a ship that had, mm, yeah. that had docked. Well, you know, and that's the thing. When the explorers hit new places, they brought all kinds of disease with them, you know, because it, it comes with the people. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the plague that went around at the time of Luther and whatnot, those were local. And people would flee. They'd go to the. They'd go to another town because the town would be ridden with that. This one was uh, bubonic plague was spread by fleas and rodents. Okay, but they didn't know that. So, um, but it would. It, so it, it tended to be localized, and they weren't as mobile. So they basically fled to another town. Katie Luther had to do that. She 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 left Wittenberg and went. Uh, where did she go? She went to either Erfurt or I, I forgot. But but she had to leave Wittenberg because of the plague. Um, but but this this prolongs it too. The, I don't know how long the plague went, but it went on for a long time. Mm. Uh, and and in in statistical terms, it was far worse than what we're dealing with. I mean, something like sixty percent of Europe died 
um, you know, when the thing was over. We're, we're, our numbers look bad, but but that denominator that we deal with is huge. You know, yeah. um, it's like you know we're talking about how many thousands of people in the L.A. area, but you know the L.A. area is ten million people. That's the denominator. So we're 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 not up at those those grand ones yet, and we really don't want to get there either. But. Um, I don't. I don't want to go down the the our our modern plague route. We've. I think that's that's talked about more than enough. But I I think it does cast a slightly different uh, feel for Advent, and it can be in a positive way because I I think that Advent is a very contemplative season. It's a season of mm. of. It should not be a season really of partying and distraction. But a season of of deep devotion and prayer and and um, you know the hymns are great. I think there's some of the best hymns in uh, in in the hymn book. Uh, do you have a favorite Advent hymn? Uh, no, you don't. You need well, one. No, I mean we've got we've got an Advent section in our music library. We do. If, well, yeah. and the, the Advent is uh, that's always the first yeah. chunk of hymns in the hymn book. But you yeah. know. Prepare the uh, Royal likes. Highway, lift up your hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Savior of the Nations, come. Mm -hmm. uh, once he came in blessing, a personal favorite of mine. Um, oh, come, the Emmanuel, King shall I come love that one. With, yeah, well, and then the granddaddy of them all, right? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, uh, based on the O antiphons. These are the little prefatory sentences before the Magnificat in evening prayer. And so they were the countdown uh, antiphons from December 17th through the 23rd, that last week before Christmas. And uh, they use a different Old Testament prophetic name uh, of Christ. So, you know, Adonai, Lord, or Emmanuel, God with us from Isaiah 7, uh, Dayspring, Key of David, you know, all of these are biblical names of Christ, usually in a prophetic sense. So they're very, very clever, and they're very Advent-ish. And they're a reminder that uh, Christ uh, didn't just appear on the scene one day, but he was prophesied long before his coming. And in fact, he is before any of them, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, so so he, he precedes them all. But there are great, great uh, hymns uh, associated with Advent. In fact, I have people that... Uh, they they just love going to church uh, during Advent just for the hymns, <laughs> just for the hymns. Reminds me of my dad. Uh, you know, my dad was a Presbyterian, uh, but he loved the Lutheran hymns. Yeah, <laughs> and he would he would come to church with my mother sometimes just to sing. I have to. I so as long as we're talking about hymns, I, I have to put in a pitch for three forty seven and LSB comfort comfort ye my people. And, uh, you know, I grew up with the, the very ponderous, comfort, comfort ye my people. You know, you're almost, you're almost, if you start that at Advent 1, you're almost at Christmas Eve by the time you get to the last stanza at that page. <laughs> and that really needs to go twice as fast. Comfort, comfort ye my people, bum, bum, bum. You know, those people kind of, they, they knew their way around a snappy tune back then. And it's we moderns who have like beaten these old tunes to death uh, by by playing them too slowly and without the heartbeat of it. So I'm just putting a pitch for that one because that one gets massacred everywhere I go. Bum 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 bum. That's an uh, homage to uh, Henry Gerke, from whom I learned a lot of things musical. But Henry Henry taught me to sing that hymn right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's that's one of the beauties of Lutheranism uh, is the value that we put on music. I think Luther himself said, except for Jesus, music is God's best gift. Well, it is a wonderful vehicle for the Word. It's second to the Word, and it can't take over from the Word. That's very important. Uh, it's a it's a minister. It's not the master. Uh, but um, as a as a vehicle for conveying the word, uh, it, it's it's amazing. And you and I know that uh, we grew up with advertising jingles that we can still recite them today. You know, I won't start because I know what's going to happen if I do. But, <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a child of the '60s. I grew up in front of a television, and I can sing. I can sing the Gilligan Island theme song without you know. And and I don't study this. I don't practice this. This is drilled in, and the vehicle is music. Uh, music makes text more memorable. And uh, you know, there's a reason why uh, Augustine said, uh, "He who chants." praise twice <laughs> it's, and uh so and that, that's why you know liturgies are set to music that's why the 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 liturgy is is chanted well, uh, it's it's a great vehicle for conveying the word to the ear in a way that sticks well my pastor uh said one of the things that uh, a hymn does is it takes the preaching away from the uh, from the pastor and brings it to the congregation. And when we sing the hymns, we're actually preaching to each other. True. Yeah, I mean, a good hymn, um, and I make distinctions. You know, there are Christmas songs, and they're okay, too. Uh, there are holiday songs. They're okay, too. There's nothing wrong with, I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Well, there might be, but, but yeah, well, let's not go there. Okay, but, um, you know, but but a hymn, a good hymn, uh, needs to have enough meat on the bones that it teaches something, and 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 by singing it over and over again, it imparts it deeply. Uh, that's why I love, like uh, you know, from heaven above to earth I come. I mean, you know, it seems endless, but it's it's basically rehearsing the entire doctrine of Christ in one hymn. Which is really, you know, just kind of amazing. Now, every hymn doesn't have to be like that. You know, it's like when you when you lay out a dish, it's not just, unless you're on some sort of weird paleo diet, you're not just eating a slab of meat. Okay, you you've got some other things <laughs> alongside, and so there's nothing wrong with the lighter carols. But a carol is a different, it's a different kind of song. Carols are more playful and poetic. Mm -hmm. You know, tomorrow shall be my dancing day. You know, what the heck is that about? It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, it's, it, well, you can think about it a, a little bit more. And it's, it's figurative and it's poetic and it's nice because I think the season commends that. And nobody does it like the Germans or the, 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 the British. Uh, yeah, and they're the ones with the carols. All the carols that we sing are German and English carols for the okay. most part. That's right? true. Absolutely. But they're not they're not like doctrinally dense the way a hymn is. A hymn they the hymns are dense. They weigh a lot. You know, I mean you you know you know you're singing a hymn when you're tired at the end of that last stanza. <laughs> I've sung a hymn. Yeah, sometimes I'll open the hymnal and you know, I've got to sing this one hymn at church. Oh my gosh, seven verses? Oh yeah, yeah, and that, that's not that—that's a short one by Reformation standards. 
<laughs> One of my favorites is Harka Thrilling Voices sounding. Um, I like the I like the older the L the LW version. Harka Thrilling Voices sounding. It took years to teach the congregation this, and then they took it away from us. Okay. So, <laughs> Um, but it, it's it's great because the you know the emphasis is the nearness of Christ, and 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 the anticipation, the hopefulness. It's kind of like a mother, a week away from the the due, the due date. That kind of expectation. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for being on the program and explaining to me about Advent because there's a lot I didn't know. Thanks for it, and uh, we'll do this again in the not distant future. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.